Welcome to The Square, your podcast from the Iowa League of Cities, bringing you current and important topics from around the state to your town square with our hosts, Mickey Shields, the Director of Membership Services, and Katie Wheeler, the League's Business Relations Coordinator. Our hosts bring you topics that matter to your town square. Welcome back to The Square. Katie, are you with us? I'm here. I thought you would be. How are you today? Doing pretty well. Uh, It is spring, supposedly. (laughs) <laughs> I know it really needs to warm up. I feel bad. I'm, I know you've been out at a lot of baseball practices and it is not the weather and track meets start next week for us. And oh, I'm going to have to wear my parka because it's, I can't sit outside like this. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. We've had two games canceled already for baseball. I haven't been on the golf course yet. I'm starting to get the itch trying to convince a couple of buddies to get out there to giving me the oh, it's going to be cold i'm like come on now we got to get we got to get going on this so anyways june 17th it'll be nice yeah speaking of league <laughs> events i was about to drop into that and uh yeah with the way the weather is right now it's hard to believe but yeah june 17th is the league's annual golf outing and fundraiser for the tim shields endowment it's open to all city officials in the state we definitely want a strong turnout it's a great event each year We'll be at Otter Creek uh, Golf Course. It's a municipal golf course in Ankeny. I've uh, been there a few years, and I always do a great job. And um, Katie leads that effort, so you really should be talking about this. No, you're doing great. You're <laughs> yeah, doing thanks. great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we do four-player teams uh, with the best shot format, a lot of great prizes. Um, Katie usually lines up some really cool things like some staycations, and I think we had a Yeti cooler last year. Mm-hmm. What else? I don't need cash, to cash, or cash, prices. Yeah, a lot of cash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, a, it's good a lot time. of fun though. A lot of fun. You can support a great cause that uh, comes back. Uh, the the Tim Shields Endowment Fund. Uh, the main purpose of it is to support um, training for city government officials, mainly on leadership development, but other things too. So, it comes right back out to all our members and some of the like the league conference and some other events that uh, they can participate in and get some great training. So. Uh, it's a great event. We'll have a lot of information on our website here posted so you can get yourself registered. And we always encourage our members and the folks that work with cities to form their own local teams. It's it's a competitive but fun competitive event. Um, I'm pretty sure some... you your team won last year, didn't no, you? No, no, no. Don't even try oh. it. I've never <laughs> been on a winning team. Um, it's that's because you don't get out enough. Because of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's usually me dragging my team down. Um, <laughs> so, I don't believe that. Right. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to, I did try to bring in a couple of ringers last year. Some folks may remember, and I'm going to bring those guys back out. We need one more ringer though, I think, because again, I need to offset my uh, less than good play. <laughs> before, what else is going before on? Before golf, we have a lot going yeah. on. We have MLA part three happening right now. Those are at a variety of locations around the state in the month of April, and there is also a virtual option for that. And at that MLA Part 3, if I remember correctly, you obviously know because you're presenting at a lot of them, but it's very nuisance abatement focused. Yeah, we have, well, we have community betterment, which does include nuisance abatement guidance. And then we also cover economic development and goal setting and strategic planning. So this is the third part of MLA. You don't have to go to MLA parts one or two. 
to join us, but it does build on some of the basic uh, guidance that the, the Municipal Leadership Academy features throughout. Uh, the main intent of all of MLA is for newly elected officials um, to get some basic understanding of municipal government, the various things that cities do, uh, their jobs as elected officials, as well as the jobs of the city staff. And again, the kind of the programs and projects and services that cities provide. Uh, so this is kind of the, the last series, but again, it's, it's mainly to introduce those new folks to city government and then build from there. Uh, so again, yeah, we'll be, so we have a few more workshops left here in April um, that we're looking forward to. And then next in May, we have our nuisance abatement conference, which is the day long conference the mm -hmm. league offers each year that really dives into nuisance abatement which is such a uh, challenging topic for all cities out there. There's a lot of different uh, aspects to it and it, it never ends. As soon as you uh, clean up a couple of properties, well, then there's a couple more to deal with. Uh, so we've had that conference now for a few years and it's always highly attended just because, I, again, it's such a big challenge for pretty much every city in Iowa. Uh, so that'll be May 18th in Ankeny mm -hmm. um, at the uh, DMAC camp campus. So again, all this, uh, all these events and uh, registration for them, you can do on our website, iowaleague.org. And always follow us with League Weekly, our e-newsletter that goes out every Tuesday. Always include information in that. And check out our social media accounts, of course, Twitter and Facebook. And we keep those updated with all this great information. Yes. Um, okay, so before we get started on the main part of our podcast today, I have to ask. So our focus is on parks and recreation today. Have you ever played pickleball? Have I? Yes. Oh, my goodness, yes. Okay, I yes. love pickleball. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because we actually had a unit in high school, which seems like eons ago at this point, um, uh, where we would spend, I don't know how long, maybe a month or something doing pickleball. And I had a, uh, the wrestling coach at my high school was like a pickleball, just savant, like he was just <laughs> way into it and he would host this tournament like a bracket style tournament nice with all the like high schoolers, you know, and you go we have a pickleball and... net at our house. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We, you play. Got into it. <laughs> yeah. We, we really like it. Yeah. It's a lot so. of fun. And then uh, my kids got into it here. We play baseball. Um, one of the places we play is a park in Urbandale that has a really nice pickleball court. Mm -hmm. And they were walking by last summer and said, uh, they asked me like, what is that? I was like, that's pickleball. And that's, it's really fun. It's, easy anyone mm -hmm. can do it and then off we went so yeah now we're kind of getting the next generation going on yes my kids all like to play too mm -hmm. so just had to ask I never I didn't know that about you <laughs> yeah I mean if, any sport I'll give it a shot put it that way I'm not gonna say okay. I'm good at them good at them all but <laughs> yeah always loved it and it's cool to see now because I think as we we're gonna talk to a couple of experts in Parks and Rec here and this is a nice lead-in uh, but I think it's a it's a relatively safe and um, relatively low barrier type of sport that mm -hmm. people can play. And for the city side of things, putting up a pickleball court is probably not the most expensive thing. So it's pretty easy to do, relatively speaking. So with that as a lead in, we might as well introduce the, the featured guest, right, Katie? Yes. So w with us, we have... Nick Skank, uh, the Parks and Rec Director from the City of Waukee, and uh, Matt. No, Nick is with Adele. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I got this backwards, guys. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna reassign you to your cities on the fly. By the way, uh, and then Matt uh, Jeremiah from the city of Waukee. There we go. Matt and Nick. Hey, thanks Welcome. for walking the square. What an intro. We're gonna yeah. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, you guys are switching cities. Just yeah. just in case you didn't know. <laughs> Well, you guys are Parks and Rec directors, and we wanted to feature this wonderful, the, the, we always kind of joke about it here at the league, the fun part of city government, because there's parts of city government that are not so much fun, as you probably are aware, uh, but this is the fun side for sure. So uh, before we get into kind of what you guys do for your cities and what Parks and Rec uh, offers um, uh, to citizens, we want to learn a little bit more about you and where you grew up, how you got into city government, how you got into parks and recreation. And so, Matt, why don't we start with you? All right. Thank you. Uh, I'm what somebody would call a lifer uh, in parks and rec. Uh, I, I started, I grew up in Dallas Center Grimes uh, mm -hmm. Community School District and then went on to Simpson College um, for, um, and then, and as I started in parks and recreation. I actually started with the city of Clive uh, early on in high school and worked for the city of Clive for eight years uh, throughout high school and in college. Wow. Um, and then coming out of college, uh, the city of Waukee was actually looking for um, to start a parks and recreation department. Um, so threw my uh, hat in the ring, uh, got the job, and here I am 18 years later uh, at the city of Waukee, it's kind of interesting. When I first started in uh, Waukee, the population of Waukee was 7,200 people. And here we are 18 years later, just going over that 25 to 26,000 people. So, you know, I, I've, I've seen a lot of growth throughout my 18 years. But ultimately, uh, my wife and I are proud to uh, uh, live in this community and raise our two boys here in this great city of Waukee. That's fantastic. It's yeah, definitely changed. And uh, I was just out there for an event for your retiring city manager, now retired. And so I got to see some of your parks and, re and recreation around town. It's just truly impressive uh, what's going on out there. And uh, um, sorry, Nick. Yeah. Yourself. I'll give you a little background and where you yeah, grew up so... and how you got into the role. Yep. Definitely. I grew up in Southwest Iowa, little town of Stanton, which mm -hmm. is near Red Oak in Montgomery County, and went to college in Maryville, Missouri at Northwest Missouri State, and actually kind of had more geared toward that state park conservation type background, and the science was really, really tough. So, uh, I was able to keep some of that park interest by entering this field, and I'm glad I did because I enjoy all aspects of it. That's cool. Um, interned in Urbandale 2001 and was in Fort Dodge for close to four years and came to Adel and been here 15. So um, we're wow. seeing, the, seeing the changes like Matt is as well. We're about 70% growth. and. He was a first-time park and rec director. I was a first-time park and rec director. Um, new positions that were created by both our cities, and um, it's fun. Yesterday, I was in 
meetings with developers talking about parkland dedication and mm-hmm. where trails are going to go and things like that. So it's fun and exciting and there's always something new. No kidding. No yeah. kidding. Well, what are, I mean, just some of our listeners, I'm sure a lot of our listeners get, have a general understanding uh, of what parks and rec departments do. Uh, maybe they watched that show on NBC back in the day. <laughs> I know oh, I, I did. did you guys watch that? <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, no. Parks and Rec. Oh. No. Well, okay. Well, I want you to want check it out accurate. someday. I think <laughs> I saw like half an episode once. That yeah. Was and were you like, yeah, this isn't accurate? Yeah. Was... <laughs> I only watched a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, we always enjoyed that one, but um, yeah, of course, it was the uh, the comedic side of things, and maybe not always accurate, but. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit just kind of what your departments do and, and in general and maybe some of the unique programs or services you provide as well. And let's go ahead and start with Nick. Yeah, so um, we obviously have the park side. We have the rec side. Um, we have 13 parks currently in our park system. I'm getting close to 200 acres now. Um, seems like every two years, we add a new park sometimes sooner. Um, And then we have the rec side, um, probably 60 rec programs. Um, I have a assistant that is very helpful in that. Um, That was a new position four years ago. Um, I would say some of our unique things, we have a, we have a public park, which is an archery range. And at the time when we started that, it was maybe there was like two in central Iowa. Um, I can't remember who operated the other one, maybe Polk County or, or a similar entity like that, but um, that's very popular and unique. Yeah. Um, the zip line is unique. That was, that was a new addition that um, you heard about earlier, um, yeah. the diff, disc golf course. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always changing. It's very trendy. Um, Park and Rec is very trendy based on trends. You guys remember yeah. when the dodgeball movie came out and the dodgeball got popular? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, disc golf has kind of stayed strong. Uh, Pickleball is a big one lately. Right. Uh, so, yeah, just trying to meet the needs of the trends and issues and, and what the people want. So, Absolutely. Okay, so have you tried the zip line? I have. Okay. I absolutely have, yeah. And the archery, have you tried that? I have. I'm not much of a an archery person, but um, yeah, I've I've tried it before. So yeah, is okay, that what kind about of a, you, Mickey? Have you, you you're all things sports? What about I, archery? I haven't in a very long time. <laughs> no, I, I need to go out to to Adel and get in on the archery course. Yes, apparently we had that in PE too. Yeah, I same liked here. It. Yeah, it seems like a real nice hazard right now. Thinking about <laughs> it because of how many kids that probably had no clue what they were doing, including myself. Somehow. No, no major injuries <laughs> that I'm aware of. Uh, so uh, what about you guys, Matt? What's going on in Waukee? What's kind of the rundown of or the, the menu of things that you all do? Yeah, so within our department, we have we currently have 11 full-time employees. We have two permanent part-time employees. And this summer, we will have between 70 and 80 seasonal positions. Um, with the addition of Triumph Park, that's, that's, that number has uh, quadrupled um, for this next summer. So uh, we're expecting a pretty busy summer. Um, 
You know, my overall team is responsible for uh, roughly 300 programs a year. Um, we have 17 parks, and with that, we are putting in we're we're putting in a roughly we're putting in every bit of one neighborhood park a year. In the past couple of years, we've been doing two. Uh, and then our, our five-year CIP outlines uh, roughly two neighborhood parks each year going in. So, uh, you know, those numbers are increasing as we continue to grow. We have 26 miles of trail. We have a dog park. Uh, our, our, our department's also responsible for overseeing uh, Sugar Creek Golf Course. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, the new thing coming on board this summer is the 66-acre Triumph Park, uh, which we're really excited about. Uh, you know, it, we've partnered with the Waukee Betterment Foundation. We will have the first um, uh, handicap-accessible fishing pier in Dallas County. Mm-hmm. Um, we will have an epic playground, um, and I can go into that a little bit more. Um, and uh, America League field, and then 12 baseball, softball fields. Uh, so we're really excited about that park. Uh, we do believe it will be a regional attraction um, and will bring a lot of people to our community. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that. It's, it's going to be amazing. And I mean, related to that, we wanted to ask you guys what all goes into getting everything ready, your parks, your facilities, you talked about staffing up a lot of parks and rec departments, of course, have seasonal staff. Um, so, you know, in some, in some respects, the winter might be a little quieter um, in terms of like park usage and whatnot or trail usage. But of course, you have a, a very busy season really probably starting now, I'd imagine, and heading into the summertime. So what goes into that from the city side of things, like just getting everything ready and cleaned up and maintained or updated, whatever needs to happen? Yeah, I'll start. Uh, sure. You know, what I think is interesting is er, a lot of people make that comment that, you know, this is our slower time of year um, or the winter months are the slower time of year, maybe for actual playground usage. But in our community, we're seeing our trails used year round and heavily used. Wow. Um, you know, a lot of our programming happens in the winter months. Um and so forth. But then as an administrative staff, all this programming and all of, um, you know, these parks, they don't just build themselves or, uh, you know, one day, um, one day they're ready to go. So our department spends a lot of time and effort in the winter months just prepping to be able to pull some of these things off that we do on a daily basis. So, you know, that's what we're doing in the winter months. Um what I think is interesting, too, over my time is how much earlier and earlier the hiring process for spring yeah. and summer is starting. You know, it used to be you wanted to you wanted to start doing your interviews by spring break. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, if if you're not if you don't have your staff in place um, by late January, you're behind the eight ball. So wow. and, really? and we actually heard we actually heard from multiple candidates that uh, that they had their their uh, interviews for next summer around the Thanksgiving holiday. 
So, you know, that's just, it's just getting earlier and earlier to try to recruit that, those staff. And I think, I think if you're not done by the latest spring break, um, you're going to struggle to find those staff that are needed. So, so that's kind of what we're doing. Um, obviously we do the typical clean up the, you know, clean up the parks from the winter debris, um, you know, the, the trash that blows around throughout the community. Um, turning back on restrooms and drinking fountains, you know, doing our playground inspections uh, in preparation for, um, um, you know, the heavy use of the playgrounds for the summer. So those are some of the things that we're doing as we come out of winter and uh, looking for our busy season out in our parks. Yeah, that's a lot, no doubt. Um, and I mean, it just seems like it's just, you, again, yeah, I think the the public perception is probably it's pretty quiet and, and it, for Parks and Rec, but it's really not. And I did, didn't think about the trails so much, but now I, the, the, I do. It's like, yeah, that's that's happening around where I live, too. There's people out there dead of winter, but the trails are being used. That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. So in uh, the hiring part, too, is interesting. And, and Nick, I'm wondering if that's the case for you guys, too, that it's just I've seen that, too, where you're pushing everything back. Yeah, it is. We uh we opened a new aquatic center in 2013. Um, so we have roughly 30 lifeguards and probably close to 40 admissions concession staff. And um, Matt is right, it starts earlier. I think uh, people in general are busier <clears throat> each and each year. So those things get moved up. Um, I can remember staff deadlines for applications being in March and by early February, we've got everything set. Um, and I will say that um, luckily, I know a lot of communities and departments are s- struggling with staff, as we all know the yeah. kind of the job climate out there and wages and such. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're lucky. I gave an update to council last night that we're sitting pretty good. Now, six weeks ago, we weren't. We had some concern there. Um, we did through the budget process adjust wages to try to be more competitive. Um, sure. you know, in, in that first outer ring circle of the metro, we're we're competing with other uh, larger communities. So, um, so yeah, winter time getting all that stuff set in place. Um, you know, turning your water back on in your parks. We'll be doing that. Um, you know, next Monday, those will open up. They've already okay. started some of our sources. They were doing it yesterday, so park staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do, like, we, we plow the trails in the winter. Like Matt said, it's all the time and people walking dogs and mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. So, yeah. The fun never stops. No. <laughs> Mickey and I always joke that working in a parks and rec department would be the most fun job in the city. Uh, what's your favorite? What is your favorite thing about your department? Is it true? Is it really the most fun department? <laughs> I'll answer that. <laughs> uh, you know, it is. I think. Uh, I think it's a lot more. It's almost like it's. It's like running a business. Really, it's. It's more behind the scenes work that the public don't see of the mm-hmm. budget. Uh, expenses, revenues, um, you know, capital improvement items, all, all of those things, you know, we more than ever with shortages where it, it's actually more planning. We have four city trucks that we ordered last September and we don't know when we're going to get them. So, yeah. um, 
you're, you're always a year ahead. Uh, I mean, we started budget this, this past September for our 22 fiscal year. So, um, you're almost always a year ahead. So it's, it's a lot of planning. Um, but the funnest part is probably the end result. Uh, you know, building a new park, you know, it's a clean slate. You work with park board and your community on what you want and, um, you know, opening those things up and seeing people enjoy them is, is all worth it. So, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. How about you, Matt? What's your favorite part? Yeah. I mean, I would say we are the most fun, uh, department in the city. I mean, you look at all the other departments in the city, I I would say public works. That's not fun. Um, you know, we appreciate them. We appreciate them. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate them. And we appreciate every department within the city, but we we're the department that gets to have the most fun. I would say provide the most fun. Um, you know, the number of lives that we get to impact on a daily basis through programming, through our parks, through our trails, it's just amazing the number of things, or, you know, the number of lives that we get to impact. And, you know, coming out of COVID, what did people do um, to get out of the house? What did they do? They came out and we probably took years off of our trails because of the number of people that were walking down our trails and utilizing the thing, the investments that our city councils have put towards parks and recreation and quality of life amenities. Um, you know, those were, those came through bigger than anything throughout COVID um, as for pretty much a lifesaver for everybody um, to be able to come out and do so. You know, that's what I look at is the value of what we do on a daily basis is next to nothing. So, um, you know, I, I think I think we continue to um, look at those different ways um, to provide unique opportunities, whether it's through programming and that kind of thing. Um, those are what bring up bring us back each day. Yeah. No doubt. I, you just really struck a nerve with me. Uh, I know I got goosebumps. Yeah, I know. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's so true. And I, I think, um, I mean, quality of life is really what cities do. And Parks and Rec is one of the biggest uh, public examples of that. I think what you said there, Matt, with COVID, I mean, one of the silver linings I'm hoping is a silver lining is that people, a lot of people maybe got reconnected with their local parks and rec- recreation opportunities and, and maybe re-realized how uh, important that is uh and you know getting out and enjoying these things is a really uh, big part of public health and individual health so that's where again i hope that that's a, maybe a new realization for some folks that like yeah this stuff's really cool and it's really good for you to do um so that's kind of the the fun side of it now if you had to say there was something that was maybe not so fun what would you point to in your jobs yeah i'll start i my answer simple everything covid related <laughs> um, you know going through that no there was kidding. no there was no playbook on how to navigate through it um, we understood the value of what we offer and that kind of thing and as things started to shut down and even the talks of you know closing playgrounds and that kind of thing and closing out our parks and everything, you know, those were some very, very tough decisions and, um, and something that was very difficult to navigate 
as with every department in the city. But mm-hmm. um, as we talk about parks and recreation, that's something that, you know, uh, will always stick with me. Um, and quite honestly, I hope we never, ever have to go through it again. You're here. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree. I think that's probably was a huge challenge for all cities was just learning on the fly. You know, there wasn't a there wasn't an instructional book on how to how to do any of that. So <laughs> no kidding. Um, that was a challenge. Um, another one would be like uh, just the challenges that come with big projects, you know, when they're mm-hmm. when they're closing out. Um, I can remember when the aquatic center opened you know, working with contractors and engineers. And it's, uh, seems like they always get pressed up to the last minute. Hopefully Matt doesn't have to go through a lot of that with Triumph Park, but um, <laughs> I can, I can just remember our aquatic center opening and, you know, literally the day before sod is being laid. So we're, we're putting up laugh, trying to keep people off of that when we're mm-hmm. open. And, um, you know, so then they're putting the sod down and then dirt goes in the pool. And I remember vacuuming the pool with the staff at like 1 a.m. the day before just to Jeez. try to, you know, you want your pro- your your product, your jewel to, to yeah. look good. And um, I hope I don't ever have to do something like that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things, just like one time's plenty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, one thing here, this is going a little off script, I'm sorry, but... Um, you both spoke a little bit about like development growth and i think for a lot of citizens out there maybe even some of our listeners that are city officials may not understand um the the element that parks and rec plays in that where developers businesses that are looking at either expanding their current operations in town or are looking to locate in a city that one of the things they're looking at of course is the parks the amenities the trails recreational opportunities because they're what they're literally getting at is your quality of life is this going to be a good place for me to locate my business and and locate my staff so what kind of i think what i'm getting at is what kind of um, discussions where you guys are involved trying to explain what you have or what's maybe coming online soon and the the parks and rec kind of element or component when a city is looking at development opportunities and Matt, why don't you go ahead and yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you hit on a lot of the things that we're uh, looking at as we build our community. Um, you know, making it attractive to those employers um, so that they have a better opportunity to hire staff because that's what everybody's looking for. They're looking for those nice, clean neighborhood parks, those amenities that they can uh, raise a family. So we're looking at that um, on a daily basis uh, as we build out our community, um, even within our Kettlestone development, where we anticipate uh, significant uh, commercial growth. You know, we're, we've made the investment of the trail system um, throughout that Kettlestone inv- uh, development because they're also looking for businesses are also looking for opportunities that they can you know, work on their employee health, uh, get them out of the office in for a half hour and take a walk on one of our trails. Um, that's important to a lot of corporations. And so we, we take that a step further and say, okay, how do we, how do we design our trail system around those commercial developments? Not for just uh, recreational use for our, our, our citizens, 
um, to access those businesses, but also the people that are that are working there, um, the opportunity to get out of the office and maybe enjoy some sunshine and and maybe take their mind off work for a half hour for their own mental health. So that's some of the things that we're doing here in Waukee. Sure. How about you guys, Nick? Yeah, we uh, uh, our our new areas, our new growth isn't really commercial; it's residential. So mm-hmm. uh, we kind of I kind of spoke a little bit about that earlier with uh, meeting with developers and things. So we just right. have we have parkland dedication requirements based on new plats that come in, and um, we have a parks master plan um, that we completed and. Um, that's been really vital, you know, for trail planning and such and connectivity. Um, you know, I will say, you know, police and fire, those departments are kind of a given in a community, but what I see is when new people come in, it's what programs do you have? Where's your parks? Uh, That's the calls I take. Yeah. Um, So I think that, um, I think it's important for cities to realize that, um, park and rec is valuable and, um, that's, that's what a majority of the people are looking for. So, yeah, that is absolutely true. And again, I think just that, that quality of life is really what sets some people apart, some communities apart. And if you invest in that and have staff like you guys that are really good leaders and, and know what's good and what maybe what to avoid that can, again, kind of set that, set your community apart when it comes to residents, your current residents and keeping them happy and keeping them there, but also uh, on the kind of the business side, making sure that there's good opportunities for everyone. Uh, So to wrap up, uh, we wanted to ask kind of uh, what's, if you were talking to a new parks and rec director or even, you know, a new council member, a new mayor, um, we have a a bunch of those out there right now uh, after the city elections last fall. What is one piece of advice uh, that you would offer to that new park and rec director or a new elected official? Nick, what would you say? Um, I would just encourage them to uh, lean on their peers. Um, Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, We have a great Iowa Park and Rec Association. Um, If they're not a member, please join, you know, join up with that. you know, that's a lot of how Matt and I know each other is from that association. Um, you know, and there's obviously the league and things for, for new city administrators, managers. Sure. But just have an open mind and don't be afraid to fail. I mean, Matt and I have both been in brand new positions, you know, uh, never had that position before. And, um, you know, you can try something once and uh, if it doesn't work, try it again a couple years later or, try something new. So you bet. Mm-hmm. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I would say that, you know, I, I would say understanding all the, the importance of our department um, based on the discussion that we've had over the last half hour is, is important for them to understand, really understand what it is exactly our department does. But then also taking uh, an understanding to, you know, those quality of life amenities. Yes, they cost money. They cost a lot of money, but they're not necessarily designed to make money. If we were in it to make money, we wouldn't build any trails. Those don't bring us any money. But it's that quality of life uh, piece that is so important to um, people that are looking at which community they want to raise a family in. 
and and understanding that you have to make that investment um, to grow your community. And in the long term, uh, uh, you'll you'll better the community as a whole, um, and and we'll be uh, much better off as we continue to grow these park systems to have that support of the council and their vision of uh, the quality of life amenities. Well, you guys just nailed it on the head. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I couldn't say it any better ourselves. Um, we want to thank you both for hopping on the square. This was a really fun conversation. Not surprising talking to the fun guys at the city government. <laughs> <laughs> um, Katie, uh, I don't know. I won't speak for you, but that's uh, it was really great to have you guys on. Yeah. yeah, no, this was awesome. Thank you both. Yeah, thank yes, you for thank your you. service too. Yeah, thank you and for fun. It's easy to do. We we know ourselves and our position, so it's wasn't hard at all. <laughs> we enjoyed it. That's good to hear. Well, thanks again. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right. I'm excited to welcome our next guest, which is Tyler Richard with FirstNet Solutions, and he is the consultant for Iowa. FirstNet is a partner program of the league. Tyler, thanks for hopping on the square. Thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, as Before we get started, we always like to hear a little bit about our guests. Where did you grow up and how did you get to FirstNet? Yep. So my name is Tyler Richard. I grew up in uh, central Iowa. Um, around the Marshalltown area, and I really got tied into uh, the public safety industry about eight years ago. I started working for a public safety solutions uh, technology provider. Um, so that gave me uh, a good exposure into the industry, and I started um, enjoying with the, you know, the work that I was doing with the customers and uh, just the industry base was really enjoyable. It was very, um, gave me a lot of passion. So um, last June, I moved over from the technology provider over to the FirstNet team, and that's where I uh, operate today. So I'm the uh, FirstNet Solutions Consultant for Central Iowa and the state-level accounts. Very cool. And many of our listeners know about FirstNet and the mission that you guys have, but some of them don't. Can you explain what you guys do? And really, is this system geared toward large cities or does the system work in rural areas areas as well? Yeah, so uh, FirstNet built with AT&T is uh, the only wireless network that's built specifically for first responders and those who support them. So it covers uh, more first responders than any other wireless network. Um, and really its origins go back to uh, September 11th. So during the September 11th attacks, cellular networks in the area and across the nation were extremely congested and first responders specifically couldn't communicate on those networks. Um, so the idea for FirstNet came out of the 9-11 uh, commission who said we need a dedicated public safety uh, first responder network. Um, so first responders are always able to get priority and preemption um, on this network and allowed um, to have a physically separated uh, network core. So it's completely isolated from any uh, commercial carrier in the nation. And that means that public safety never has to compete with commercial traffic. Um, so FirstNet is designed for every first responder in the country. Uh, career or volunteer, you know, state, federal, local, even tribal, uh, urban, suburban, rural, it doesn't matter. Um, and so we work really closely with local telecom providers to provide that last mile of connectivity through FirstNet. Um, but you're right, the, the typical 
uh, approach to commercial carrier build-out has always been population density, whereas FirstNet goes where the emergencies happen. And in a nation where there's a lot of hurricanes and a lot of uh, wildfires, those rural environments get uh, get missed in a lot of the commercial build-out. So FirstNet really takes takes pride in covering that last mile where other commercial carriers fail. Um, and so that's why they've, they've taken the approach of doing a geographic build out, um, not just population density. And so we actually cover about 50,000 square miles, about the size of Alabama, uh, more than any other carry in the United States. And so that's, that's why that, that uh, approach was taken and that effort was taken. Um, and to help make the public safety coordination and communication as easy and seamless as possible, um, we, the FirstNet Authority, which is uh, the federal government entity that which provides the oversight for the network, uh, made FirstNet available not just to police, fire, and EMS, but also to an extended user community. Um, so this can be anyone from utility, it can be uh, transportation, emergency management, um, any of those sort of entities. So it's not just uh, what you think in public safety as far as police, fire, and EMS. Um, it also applies to those extended ones, including uh, medic, uh, medical as well. So, um, and the, the reason for that is because those entities are responsible for providing um, the support to primary entities in the event of emergencies. Um, so they are allowed to, to be on that network and be able to be contacted. Um, and that's truly because emergencies are complicated. I mean, depending on the situation, first responders might rely on a, a really broad ecosystem of partners uh, to help communicate and coordinate uh, the response that's needed. Um, so that's where these extended primary users come in. It, it also includes uh, like local utility um, and schools as well um, for those uh, you know, op uh, open shooter events and, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and school emergencies. Um, so as, a, as an example, um, especially during hurricanes, there's a large coordination between transit and first responders to do hurricane evacuation. Um, so that's when, when that connectivity is really re relied upon. Um, so we've got about just under 20,000 agencies across the nation, um, accounting for about 3 million connections is where we're at today. Um, and there's a whole, wow. a whole slew of available devices, uh, including, you know, the, the typical iPhone, Samsung devices that you carry today, and in addition to purpose-built devices for the industry. So, um, that is super cool. I, you know, I've known about FirstNet for quite a while, and I have not heard all of the background of how FirstNet really started. And I think that is super, super cool. There was a need, and you guys are definitely meeting that need. Um, can you share an example of a city in Iowa where first responders relied on the FirstNet system? Yeah, so actually we've got, um, we've got several uh, FirstNet customers in Iowa, um, a couple of big ones, all the way down to some small ones. So mm -hmm. um, that goes from state level counts, which I'm personally responsible for. So Department of Natural Resources, um, Iowa State Patrol, um, all the way down to, uh, you know, volunteer fire departments where maybe they don't have, um, you know, department or, uh, you know, department offered lines um, to their users. So mm -hmm. it's actually subscriber paid. Um, so we do have a subscriber paid Ooh. program. Uh, for those particular instances, um, because honestly, in those in those emergency environments, you know, those officers or those first responders may not be on shift. So getting a hold of them and getting them uh, able to respond is is important. So that that's why that subscriber paid program exists. 
Mm-hmm. I, that is super cool. Um, so if a city's not currently using this system, um, is it, and it's something that they're interested in learning more about, how, what's the process to get this set up? Yeah, so they can, uh, to get more information, they can go to firstnet.com. Firstnet.com kind of gives an overview of the program and mm-hmm. and uh, provides information both to the agency side and the subscriber paid side. Um, for the agency side, um, it'll walk them through the different offers. Obviously, we're on the uh, national, like NASPO contracts um, for pricing and availability. Um, and then on the subscriber paid side, it uh, those those uh, promotions uh, specifically for devices fluctuate frequently. So that's where you can find the current information. Um, but there's also um, some some items that aren't listed on that on that uh, on the agency side. And one of those is our deployable program. So it's impo- important to know that because the network is built to be hardened in those emergency environments, um, sometimes when, you know, sometimes we do have Iowa land hurricanes and those sort of events that, that happen in our state. So mm-hmm. um, having a, a fleet of deployable assets that goes out upon a customer's request um, is also available. So those can be sell on wheels is, is typically what we see deployed in in Iowa. Um, and I'm actually a part of that deployment team. Uh, but within 14 hours is our is our SLA for the for the state uh, to go and deploy cellular uh, basically satellite backhaul cellular uh, assets in an area to provide first net coverage where maybe there is network damage. So that part's also available to hmm. to the agency side as well. But yeah, firstnet.com is is the place to go for further information. Yeah, and you know, with Iowa weather so unpredictable these days, I feel like this is a you know a really good solution for cities around the state of all sizes to learn more about and see if it's a good fit for your community. So, um, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us on the Square today, and I look forward to talking to you more later. Yep, thanks for having me. All right, that wraps up another episode of The Square. As always, you can stay up to date um, by our website and through League Weekly and on social media. See you next time. Yeah, we